Blog Talk Radio. I can't tell if the intro is um, is playing, so I'm going to stop it because it's not playing from my end. So uh, this is Tracy Slatten. I couldn't hear the intro. I'm not sure if there's a glitch in Blog Talk Radio. Um, I don't know if many listeners heard it, uh, but I'll just start with my regular um, opening for this show. So this is Tracy L. Slatten, hosting Independent Artists and Thinkers. I am so happy to welcome you to the show. We've got a great show lined up for you today. And I'm really happy that so many people are listening to the show. I'm getting thousands of listens, um, mostly in the archives in the iTunes podcast channel, but we're getting a lot of live listens too, so that's really fun. And thank you for tuning in, and I hope you're enjoying this show because I really am. I created this show, and this is the important part, I created this show to support those brave souls who are operating outside the structures of the big established corporations. And I usually say that, um, and that's my pre-recorded intro, which I don't think was playing today. Um, But as the intro to the show says, I intend to illuminate the unusual journey and to bring it to you. I'm interested in alternatives to conventional thinking and conventional answers. I'm interested in creativity, fresh ideas, unusual perspectives, and originality. And this show aims to bring you models of people who embody those qualities. Please do call in with questions or comments to 516-453-6052. You can also live chat me at blogtalkradio.com slash independent artist thinkers. And the chat room is open. So uh, if you're out there, log in, say hi, and, um, and type in any questions you may have for our guest. Email me in between shows if you'd like to suggest a guest or have me ask questions for a particular guest. And you can reach me at Tracy at TracyLSlatten.com. And I spell Tracy, T-R-A-C-I. Um, in the coming weeks, some fascinating guests are coming in. Next week, we'll talk to Zach Valenti, who's a millennial. He's a young filmmaker, and he also meditates. Pretty cool. Uh, He's head of Wolf Productions. So tune in and keep checking the website, independentartistthinkers.com, and the Blog Talk Radio page to find out who will be on the show. And before I introduce our guest, I just want to say something about this show, which is I really created it to support people who do not have support because they operate outside the big bureaucracies and the big structures and um, and to provide models for people because this is a tough life and um, when you're outside the system there are people who will try to take advantage of you so I saw something on Facebook this week and it made me think a lot about that and that the Facebook was a little meme and it said stand up for what you believe in even if you're unpopular and I think when you do stand up for something that's right you can often be wildly unpopular um, if you get someone on the other end who's strong, then they will say to you, look, I'm really sorry. I can see how that doesn't work for you, and let me figure out how to rectify the situation. But if you get a weak person on the other end, then they're going to stonewall, and um, and they may just refuse to open any more of your emails. So, you know, you have to have courage, and you have to – it takes a lot to be independent of the prevailing you know, thought forms and to not let bureaucracy steamroll you with any sub rosa agendas they may have. So I'm rooting for you. And um, mostly, almost all the people on my show are examples of people who will think outside the box and who know what it's like to be taking on this journey. So in, in terms of taking on this journey of being an independent thinker, the person I have on my show today really typifies that. He's amazing. I am so delighted today 
to have our my friend and the art scholar and the noted art critic James Cooper on to talk about the culture wars. James Cooper is an art scholar and a noted critic. He is the founding director of the Newington Property Cultural Studies Center. He is the editor of American Arts Quarterly. He is the author of several books, including The Hudson River School and The Moral Landscape. Mr. Cooper served on the President's Committee for National Standards for Arts Education K-12. He has been a vocal critic of government funding to the arts. He was the first to challenge the obscenity, the lack of quality of grants awarded by the National Endowment for the Arts. Subsequently, he was appointed to serve as a juror on several juries for the National Endowment for the Arts, and he met with many congressmen. Cooper believes, and I do, and my husband Saban Howard does too, that excellence and beauty are the criteria for public art and education, not political correctness or propaganda. He thinks that the American people have, been, have not been alerted to the culture war that is deconstructing the core values of America. His goal is cultural renewal. You can find out more about the Newington Cropsey Cultural Studies Center at www.nccsc.net, or you can just type in um, to Google or um, Bing American Arts Quarterly, and that'll take you to the site. So, Jim, hello. Welcome to the show. Hi. Uh, hi, Tracy. Uh, that was a terrific uh, introduction. I, I thank you. And what I liked is the uh, emphasis you placed on some kind of huge establishment that is uh, perverting and censoring and deconstructing uh, what's going on today. And what uh, I would like to connect it with is what's going on in the politics today. And so we have several candidates like Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump who are making this very point and they're getting a lot of hits and outrage from both sides of the political aisle because those are the people in the establishment who want to continue uh, the way the politics, the political situation, and everything that's going wrong for the last 50 years, they want to keep in power and control it. And those are people who are stand-up people who, whatever side you're on, they're making the, uh, they're targeting the same problem. Yeah, I, I think that there's just a lot of us who are head up, you know, who are just fed up with the lying, cheating, bureaucratic political class. <laughs> And you know, <laughs> you're I, making I think you laugh. I mean, I it, it, it does in a way. It does sound like the the election campaign going on. Uh, I welcome all the millennials. I'm uh, I'm old enough to be a grandfather, so I know and lived have lived through the last fifty years, and I can tell you the journey that many of you may not be aware of that has that represents the culture wars. And I want to make uh, a point that the culture, and that includes everything from government funding, monuments, memorials, architecture, television, the media, government-funded agencies, cinema, te- uh, universities, uh, museums. I can go on and on and on the core curriculum. I served on the president's committee for, to establish core standards for uh, national uh, education K through 12, and it was a very discouraging and interesting experience because I found out that they were all part of the establishment and they all had that agenda. 
Well, Jim, let me ask you. I want to start with my usual opening question. You know, and Jim, you and I are soulmates. We've had this discussion. You know, I we are chemosabi about. Please don't don't on the art. <laughs> no, no. But, but let my me ask you. My won't take it. <laughs> oh come on. Go ahead. Let me ask my usual opening question for my guests because it situates listeners into who you are and what you're about. So answer this, and then we can we can just run with it with all your thoughts on the culture wars. Because I think hold you're on right. to your socks. All right, but hold on. So this is. How did you begin your journey, and what has it taken for you to arrive at the place where you are currently? What training did you have? When did you know you were going to be involved in the art world? Was art a major presence in your home when you were growing up? What did you think you would do? Tell me about your childhood lead up till now. Well, I'll try and keep it very short, uh, but it's, it's a very unusual journey. Uh, I was an orphan, and I grew up literally on the streets of New York. I put myself through high school music and art, college, Pratt Institute, graduate school. I taught. I became a professional artist. And uh, sometime in the early 1980s, I became involved uh, with the government funding in the arts scandals. That includes Maple Thorpe, Serrano, all the nonsense that was going on. And at the same time, I was appointed to... um, the President's uh, Committee on Establishing National Standards for uh, uh, Education. And President Bush at that time uh, uh, disallowed the arts to be included in the curriculum. And there was such an uproar because the community of artists, universities, museums, and everything, he didn't realize how big it was. It's literally, literally the biggest single industry the United States has. The arts, culture, and it's the last uh, bunker of the establishment. From there, they control the media, the newspapers. They shape our thoughts. They shape how we see the world. They uh, they shape education. They establish the uh, the uh, main points of our lives and what how we view the world and. Uh, I became involved so much that I, uh, uh, in the discussions and being invited down to Washington and testified to Congress and to meet with senators and congressmen who wanted to know what the heck is going on in government funding to the arts. They didn't understand Mm -hmm. it. And at that time, John Frommeyer was the uh, chairman of the National Endowment for the Arts, and he was a lawyer who had been appointed by George Bush to keep a a lid on the garbage can that was spilling over, the largest single mailing in the American history to Congress was over funding in the arts. I mean, it was an explosion. Mm -hmm. And they were wondering why uh, piss Christ, excuse the language, piss God, excuse the language, were being funded by the National Endowment for the Arts with the support of the State Council on the Arts. Now, there's a whole list over... 50 years of all the travesties in government funding and public monuments and memorials. Uh, That's a matter to get into later. Tracy is a scholar. Tracy has written a book uh, uh, about the sculpture of Sabin Howard, who uh, I have uh, uh, labeled the inheritor of the mantle of Frederick Hart, who did uh, Washington National Cathedral Entrance who did the three soldiers on the Vietnam Veterans Memorial. He understands how art and spiritual, moral, 
not connected. Think of this. Up until recent modern times, art and religion or art and society were inseparable. A thousand mm-hmm. years of Christendom. Go back to the beginning of the Bible, of Exodus, when Moses comes down from the mountain and he breaks the uh, Ten Commandments for the first time because he sees a golden calf built by the Israelites. Goes back mm-hmm. up on the mountain and comes down, and he's commanded by God to tell the Israelites, under their master craftsman Basilel, to create works to atone for their sins. Now, this is the largest, longest passage in the Old Testament, and nobody ever reads it. It's uh-huh. amazing. It's the it's when the uh, the Ark of well, the Tabernacle was created. They don't read it with your perspective, so Jim. So art and religion have been inseparable. We look at those objects now and call them in our secular age art. But until the time of Immanuel Kant, who separated aesthetics and text, uh, they were uh, united. That's why we have Greek, uh, the Parthenon, Greek art. That's why we have a thousand years of Christendom. We are now living in secular times when art became primary, aesthetics became primary, and Tracy is an expert on this subject. But what I want to focus on for the for the general public, because... Hey, Jim, to Jim talk, who's, who's charming Give me who? one more You're minute, Tracy. <laughs> okay. Are you still there? I know yeah, I'm, I'm going on, but I, I just want Go to make ahead. this point. If we talk only about aesthetics, if we only talk about the quality of art, of which... Sabin and Rick Hart and many others, Jacob Collins, I can name a hundred artists, who are all unheard of, unreviewed, and unappreciated by the establishment, uh, and have formed their own schools and their own way of teaching, their own ateliers. Um, They are trying to reconnect what is important to, to, to our society with the arts. They are separated now. The monuments and memorials that are fu- that are funded by the National Endowment and the General Service Administration are ugly, grotesque lumps in the ground. Even if you go to the sacred ground of the National Mall, the last 40 years are full of junk. Mm. Hello. Well, th- that's a really strong statement, Jim, and I, I applaud I, I you just- for making it. I'm just beginning. I can't help it. You've inspired me. (laughs) I will talk about the culture wars. What's going on? Why do we have so much crap? You know, I think that Marcel Ah. Duchamp did us all a disservice when he foisted a urinal on us. You know, it had 20 seconds of shock value, and then it was done. Why is this the art world? 20 years ago, I I was invited down to CNN to meet with uh, Pat Buchanan, of all people who is one of the few people on the right, they threw him out like they're trying to throw Donald Trump out because he blew the whistle on his own party. He, he uh, literally called them nincompoops. Uh, it's unfortunate because the conservatives should be trying to conserve Western civilization. Instead, they don't care. Well, they just seem to care about money, not about art. They only care about money, and all art is is about money. Think of this. The golden calf that the Israelites created when Moses came down from the mountain. 
You go to the Whitney Biennial a few uh, decades ago, and there is a golden pig created by Jeff Koons. Now, Jeff Koons isn't on the National Mall yet, but his cartoons are so popular that he just had a major uh, show at the Whitney. So we have jumped from literally the golden calf to the golden pig over a period of three or 4,000 years, and we're right back to where we've been wandering in the desert like the ancient Israelites for 40 years, and we're not going to get back into the promised land until we start creating works that exalt our own nation, our own values, our own heritage. And by the way, the founding fathers were very much into the arts. Uh, Thomas Jefferson is one of our greatest architects. He's one of the greatest classical architects in history. Uh, I believe that, but I'm backed up by the professor at uh, the University of Notre Dame, professor of architecture, Westfall, who says that he is one of the three greatest classical architects in Western civilization. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we have this culture, you're talking about exalting our history. We have an anti-exaltation culture. I believe, looking around, we have a culture, in some ways, of the lowest common denominator. Uh, well, let's get even, well, no, it's, it's much worse than that. We have a, country, a culture, uh, and I said this 20 years ago on Pat Buchanan's show. By the way, I was supposed to debate the people from the uh, National Endowment for the Arts who were defending uh, Maplethorpe and Serrano and why they gave grants to Piss Christ, Piss God, and so on and so forth. The list is endless. That's 50 years of this. And uh, they wouldn't come out. They hid in the offices of CNN. They sent out a rough Texan uh, who was the press secretary of Lyndon Johnson to take care of me. He called, <laughs> he called Pat Buchanan an idiot, and he said, well, we won't worry about Pat. He doesn't know the difference between a Brancusi and a stick of broccoli. But you, Cooper, you're, you're a, a tin pot dictator. You're like Savonarola during the Renaissance who tried <laughs> to suppress the arts and censor the arts. I said, no, no, no. I'm for excellence. I'm for beauty. He said, well, I have never seen the art that you're talking about that you think is so disgusting. I don't know anything about the art. I said, well, why are you doing, what are you doing on this show? Now, this is a very tough guy who was used to, uh, you know, really pushing back. He wasn't afraid of me or anybody else. On He wasn't afraid of Buchanan either. Uh-huh. And uh, he, he let us have it, but he didn't know anything what was going on. He didn't know about Piss Christ and Maple Fork. He says, I don't want to see that art. He said the important thing about art, and the chairman of the National Endowment of the Arts backed him up, John Fronmeyer, who was literally subsequently fired by Bush because they didn't know what the heck to do over the scandal. He said art and creativity is about freedom of expression. I said, I beg your pardon. Art mm-hmm. is about excellence. And John right. Kennedy, who initiated the National Endowment for the Arts and the National Endowment for the Humanities had a, uh, uh, co-authored the charter, which was only one page for the NEA and the NEH, and it, was, it contained one line that's important to us. It said the goal of the, Nash, the NEA and the NEH is to seek excellence. Now, Piss Christ and Maplethorpe and pictures of anal sodomy and all those other things, 
This is not about art. Excrement on the floor, excrement in jars, uh, fish cu- cut in half, dung Madonna at the Brooklyn Museum, the lumps and bumps around the country. By the way, the books published by the NEA were censored and not allowed even by senators mm. who couldn't see them. They could see the most advanced rockets we have, Star Wars missiles, and anything else. But the one thing they could never get to, these congressmen explained to me, Dana Rohabaka from California, uh, who's still uh, still in Congress, <clears throat> they said the hardest thing is to find out what the heck the, the GSA has funded and the National Endowment for, uh, for the Arts have funded. Now, that changed, uh, ironically, in the last few years, but no progress has been made. The New York Times never reviews artists like Rick Hart and Sabin Howard and uh, Jacob Collins and all the realists and uh, artists who were painting religious pictures. Uh, uh, Roberto uh, Ferry. No, I'm a huge fan okay. of Roberto Ferry. Ferry was, yeah, oh, we were not, not going to even get into that scandal about Facebook uh, censoring uh, the arts. But they, they're not even the blend. They're just following the rules that everybody has laid out. Laid out. Think of this. The cultural establishment is much bigger than the political establishment. They control the media, universities, popular culture, fine arts, newspapers, museums, music, cinema, television, news publishing, government agencies, funding to the arts, monuments, memorials, parks, urban designs, architecture. The General Service Administration funds much of the architecture in Washington, D.C. Education, core curriculum that so many people are upset with. This is all part of this enormous establishment. They don't like people like myself, uh, the late Hilton Kramer, and a few others, and now including yourself, speaking up. And the millennials, uh, Sabin and you almost uh, qualify uh, among that generation, um, are fed up, just as the people in the politics are fed up with the candidates that the establishment keeps bringing forth to say the same damn things and the government to make the same mistakes. The government can't run the arts and the culture any better than they've run the wars in Iraq, mm. any better than they've run education into the ground, any better than they've run the health uh, uh thing, Obamacare and all this other stuff, uh, it's a real crisis of civilization in the United States. Let me read you one, one thing. Alan Bloom wrote the book, The Closing of the American Mind. Mm-hmm. Samuel Huntington wrote The Clash of Civilizations. They both said, these are very important uh, scholars, they, and they have, these are seminal books. Uh, I hope some of your listeners are familiar with them. They both made the same point, that um, the, uh, the enemy is not the clash of other civilizations. The real clash of civilizations is in within us, mm. an elite establishment that controls how we think, what our movies are, comp- are, are uh, uh, shaped as, what goes on our television, what's in the newspapers, especially what's in the media. You can forget whether the media is left or right. They're just 
controlled by the corporations, as you said in your introduction, and I completely agree with you. This culture war is about freedom of expression to do great art, to speak from the heart. And the reason that an artist like Sabin Howard is so important, he has gone back to the fundamentals of what art is mm-hmm. in order to touch what is sacred about art. Art is our connection to heaven. Art, I as Rosia Eliade wrote, is the, the connection between man and on earth and the heavens above. I agree. I agree. Well, how I actually think it goes back to World War II, and it no, kind of it goes back to World War. The crisis started in World War One. But uh, excuse me, I'm not even going to be polite. Uh, Go Tracy. ahead. I don't care. Go for it. I I I I I don't mean to be rude, but I uh, this has to be said. World War One and the Treaty of Versailles destroyed. The Renaissance Western civilization, uh, and other authors have said this too, German authors, uh, the end of the West, the collapse of the West. Pat Buchanan has written several books about the collapse of, of Western civilization. But it all really came out into the open just about the time modernism emerged. And we forgot the whole 400 years tradition of uh, Raphael to Bouguereau, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. who died in 1901. Uh, and we began modernism. I like modernism. Modernism died, as Susie Gablick wrote in her book, Is is Modernism Dead? Yes, it is dead. It's sold out the money. Mm-hmm. The culture we have now is postmodernism. It has nothing to do with art. It has nothing to do with aesthetics, about which we, you and I and Sabin and a lot of artists and uh, teachers could discuss for hours on end. But that's like going to a motion picture and discussing a Hitchcock film and spending all your time discussing how brilliantly uh, Hitchcock edited and composed his films, as in Psycho, as in North by Northwest. That's not for the consumption of the public. The public has to understand that we love Hitchcock, and we Mm -hmm. don't really know why. He's just a great artist. We love Sabin Howard's work. We love the work of Rembrandt and Michelangelo, the greatest artist of Western civilization, Michelangelo. We yeah, love that's Leonardo. Yeah, we love Leonardo. Well, of course, of course. And Sabin, well, of course, Sabin and I have talked about the aesthetics of Michelangelo. At the same time, we have talked about Michelangelo as dealing with the spiritual. And mm-hmm. that is the greatness of Michelangelo when you read his poetry and his his pain and agony. And the, 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 to compare Maplethorpe, who deals with homosexuality as the primary focus of art, as so many artists do, who are funded by the National Endowment for the Arts, is missing the point. Michelangelo art has to do with the greatness of art, with the greatness of the subject matter of mm-hmm. God, religion, and man, and beauty. When you go to Europe and look at the sculptures of Michelangelo, you cannot believe how good. When Sabin is inspired as he was as a child, I could see it right now in the, in the pieces 
that he's doing, the contrapposto, the twist of the torso. Mm -hmm. He's aware of Michelangelo, but what Michelangelo and Sabin and Rick Hart were aware of is the universality of art. What we're talking about now is pornography, political agenda, socialism, communism, ugliness, crap. That's what's being funded by the Nash by the government. Ugly buildings, ugly art, uh, pornographic stuff, and then the media, New York Times, the Washington Post, they censor out works by Rick Hart for 20 years. He created the great work of art. It's on the, the, the facade of the Washington National Cathedral. He did the Three Soldiers for the Vietnam Veterans Memorial. He died at a very early age. Thank God someone has come along and picked up the fight. It's not my fight. I'm only talking about it. Mm -hmm. To create it, to watch an artist like Sabin work 10, 15 hours a day, six days a week, to struggle like that, for what? To make his art perfect. And he's moving toward the more spiritual art in his, uh, uh, as he develops. Still a relatively young man. And uh, it's wonderful to see this. We are at the edge of an American renaissance, and we're being held by, by a huge establishment who don't have billions but trillions of dollars inv- invested in this ugly crap that's in all these modern museums <laughs> around the world, which they've tried to internationalize. These ugly buildings. And the last 40 years on the National Mall, the sacred ground of this country, where Lincoln's memorial is, where Thomas Jefferson is, where Washington is, we have these this crap. The world, I, I hate. Uh, it's embarrassing because I'm a war veteran. I served during the Korean War. To have a World War II memorial, to have the Korean War memorial, to have these ugly, to have the FDR memorial, all these ugly things that created that have no aesthetics. That's why I'm leaving out the aesthetics. So people walk through there, and they see ugly monuments and memorials, which they are supposed to be entranced by, and I see them just drift by. But when they look at the, at the Lincoln Memorial, you can hear a pin That's drop. That's magical. Right, that's because- magical. Jim, I've got to stop you for just 30 seconds. I'm going to play my commercial for my books. I, I, have to I need to take a book. breath. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to play the commercial. I hope. The back end here is, hasn't been working. My show intro didn't play. So I'm going to try to play it. Um, so just hang on. Do for what 30- you have to do, and I'll, I'll be waiting. Okay. You love, you read everything they publish. International best-selling author Tracy L. Slatton is one of those writers. Her book Immortal is a rags-to-riches-to-burnt-at-the-stake story of an orphan boy in Renaissance Florence. Broken is the story of a fallen angel in Nazi-occupied Paris and her award-winning romantic paranormal dystopian after-book series. Also, her bittersweet sci-fi romantic comedy The Love of My Other Life. Read one and you will be hooked. Find all of her books at TracyLSlatton.com. Jim, are you there? Sure. Okay, so um, let me ask you, I, you know, I'm very fed up with the art establishment, what Peter Trippi, um, the editor of Fine Arts Connoisseur, calls the toxic art market. But this yeah, belief you know, of course, he is uh, uh, the new managing editor of our, uh, our in-house publication, American Arts Quarterly, 
and people can just log in to American Arts Quarterly and read the past issues. They're all on the website. Well, I think Peter's really brilliant, but, you know, this feeling that all a painting has to do is hang on a wall and get more expensive, and I think there's plenty of people who think if the painting matches their curtains, that's a bonus. And why do we have this going on? Why don't people get it about excellence and beauty and art, and who's saying that the emperor has no clothes, and why aren't they being listened to? Well, you've got to blame the establishment. They're only interested in money. Unfortunately... When the crash occurred in 19, uh, 2009, we suddenly became aware that our money isn't as good as gold uh, anymore, and we started to look around for other values. But we're back to the money framework. I mean, everything, the wars we fight are about oil. Other nations treasure their art. Every other nation teaches drawing in public school. I served on the president's committee to establish core v- standards for arts education, K through 12, and the establishment there, and these were major people, heads of corporations, senators, congressmen, uh, heads of museums. They weren't interested in any of, uh, of drawing or beauty or aesthetics. The only thing they were interested in were the political correctness of What's going on today? Uh, how you feel about your neighbor? How you feel about your family? Uh, in other words, art was only a tool for propaganda. That's what postmodernism is about, and that is the era we've been living in for the last 50 years. It is government intrusion. It is the universities funded by government that intrudes. It is government funding to the arts. This is General Service Administration who builds our monuments and memorials. It is the way we design our cities, our parks, uh, ugly construction. Uh, you go to Europe and you go to a tiny town in Italy and you, you find the roads are better, the houses are more beautiful. You go down to Mexico and look at houses that seem so modest they're 400 years old but have such a loving touch. And then, of course, you go to Paris, you know, it's a thousand years old. We're a new nation. It's time for a renaissance here. It's time to get back on the track. We desperately need what artists and poets and composers and musicians, because this isn't only about the visual arts. This is about all the arts. This is about what happened to the cinema when it was censored for 10 years during the 1950s. This is about a whole uh, section of comic books during the 1950s, which was shut down by, the, by, the, uh, by Joe McCarthy and Congress and banned. Uh, people don't even know about uh, the, the attempts to revive popular culture. In fact, William Manchester, who wrote the book on uh, JFK, who wrote three volumes on Churchill, Wrote his, when he wrote his autobiography about his experience during World War II, he credits Hollywood movies of the 1930s for creating the sensibility that enabled Americans to win World War II. Now, I'm not exaggerating. He wasn't exaggerating. He was pointing out that our culture made us a different kind of people. That greatest generation that they keep talking about were educated, were shaped and formed and inspired by the golden age of American popular culture 
and the fine arts and the music and Artie Shaw and the buildings, the great buildings that were built at the turn of the night, at the end of the 19th century into the beginning of the 20th century. Now we've got glass boxes. Occasionally we see something wonderful. Okay, but, you know, Asia is way ahead of us on all of these things. They are already into the millennial uh, revolution. And um, it, this is America's time to renew ourselves and get rid of the dead wood. So what would an American renewal look like in your mind? I'm what sorry, does it could... look like? Can you hear me, Jim? Uh, say it again. Repeat your question. Okay, the question is, what would an American renewal look like in your mind? Ah, I'm working on a book on that. And you know what? My book ends with the beginning of the, re- of the age of renewal. I leave it up to the artists, but it will touch upon the spiritual. It will go back and bring back the best of the past forward, as Sabin has when he looks at Michelangelo and Bernini and, and brings art up to a level that we haven't seen. The, uh, the clerk of the works of the Washington National Cathedral wrote uh, back in the 1940s that uh, Protestant religion has not produced any masterpieces for the religion. He wanted... Washington National Cathedral to have art that could match the Catholic contribution for the last several hundred years in Europe. And a, a, a male clerk, Frederick Hart, who has no, had no tr- formal training, wrote him a letter and showed him some of his sculpture, and he got the commission. Wow. And if you go to Washington National Cathedral, you will see one of the great American works of art. He also did the Three Soldiers in the Vietnam Veterans Memorial, which the entire establishment once again tried to destroy. And President Reagan saved it and put him on the Fine Arts Commission. It's going to take a revolution, and it doesn't happen overnight. And the public, you know, the elections are decided fast, and everybody's up to, up to grade in one way or another on what Donald Trump is talking about or what Cruz is talking about or what Hillary is talking about. But a lot of it is, you know, is common language. The culture is the thing we don't discuss. We shouldn't have to discuss. It's the language of artists. I leave it up to artists like Sabin, writers like yourself, composers, motion picture directors, the movies today are lousy, the music today is lousy, but the golden age of, of all these things back in the 30s, 40s, and 50s, that was our golden age, and that's what inspired this country to be, to be great. The money people have taken over, when Prince fought against Warner Brothers, he was fighting for excellence. And now we know what he was fighting for because they're starting to play his music again. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love Prince's music. And, um, was I'm really not saying he was the, the greatest. Many. I happen to like the Beatles better. But the point is, <laughs> the Beatles were an American. We, are, we're all, we have a, a tremendous establishment burden on our backs. This is the last bunker. It's more powerful than the corporations. It's more powerful than the banks. 
It's more powerful than anything because this speaks to the people. If we, well, no, you wait, and wait, I were only wait, going to talk wait. about the beauty of art, the uh, the spirituality of art, we'd be talking to a limited audience. What I'm trying to bring into the into the discussion is 350 million Americans who are lost because they have been brainwashed by our movies, by our media, by our comic books, by our uh, computer systems, by our educational system, and the memorials, and the parks, and government agencies, and the, uh, the universities, and on and on and on. We can't see the truth. And what I compare it to is the Matrix. If uh, people have seen the movie, 350 million Americans are living in within a matrix. It's a cultural matrix. We can't see the real world. It's sucking our energy. It's taking our money, and it's giving us garbage. Well, it's giving us a golden pig like Jeff Koons. How, right. how do we get it back? We, we, it's coming. Uh, I'm still very positive about it. When I see somebody like Saban Howard's work, when I write about Frederick Hart, both of them will be in, my, in the book I'm working on now, uh, to talk about this 40 years of America's wandering in the wilderness, of uh, this cultural uh, uh, wasteland that we, the T.S. Eliot right. uh, talked the about. They knew it was coming. So they knew it was coming. There was nothing they could do to stop it. We had to live through it. It was a disease. And pop culture saved us for a long time. 200 years from now, they're going to be looking at movies by, with John Wayne, by John Ford, by Alfred Hitchcock, all the great Hollywood films. They won't be looking at the abstract crap that's being done today. I'm not against abstract art. An artist like Beverly Pepper, who is an abstract artist, does great spiritual works. She's almost 90 years old, and they have shunted her off. And she once called me years ago and asked, well, why don't the New York Times like me anymore? Why is the... Uh, the New York Times is anti-spiritual. They're, they're well, just of course, that's the whole point. And what, is, and what is the common culture? What is Piss Christ about? It's anti-Christian. It's, anti, it's anti-God. And how do you strike at it? You strike through the culture. We don't see God. Maybe you see it in your hearts. Uh... You know, maybe you see it in church, some people. But basically, our connection to a supreme being, the cosmos, uh, the vision, uh, look at Frederick uh, Turner's books on beauty, comparing uh, the universe, how beautiful it is. The whole universe is beautiful, and here we are doing excrement in jars, cutting fish in half, uh, doing a painting like Dung Madonna, which the uh, the collection in England gave money under the table to the uh, director of the Brooklyn Museum to uh, give a show on it, and Ju- Mayor Giuliani at that time blew the whistle on them, and they just laughed at him because he's not an art scholar. Well, let me tell you, people can tell what a beautiful car is, a beautiful woman is, a beautiful man is, how beautiful nature is, The whole Hudson River School 19th century landscape painting is all about a celebration of nature as a creation of God. And what are we looking at? We're looking at excrement, piss Christ, 
and all these stupid, ugly things, which the New York Times, the Washington Post, the media, Channel 2, all the newspapers, all the agencies, the NEA, the GSA, and the universities, all praise and defend as freedom of expression. Jim, don't you think we've – I asked – it's interesting – uh, a few months ago, I, I've had on my show twice a um, a Catholic Buddhist Buddhist Catholic psychotherapist named Dave Rico, yes. and I talked yes. to him about how there's this lack of spirituality, and instead, so many people have substituted spirituality for knee jerk liberalism. And the knee jerk liberals, I think, they're the most vicious people alive today. They are the new McCarthyists. They are the new Holy Roman Inquisition. But they have substituted. Tracy, I'm not going to disagree with you, and you can go on and on, and I could tell you a hell of a lot more because I've been around a lot longer than you have and the millennial age have. I go all the way back to the 40s, and I have seen this evolvement, not only with Hillary Clinton and the Clintons in general, but the whole progressive movement. There's only one saint in there, and that's Bernie Sanders, and uh, someday he'll be anointed a saint, but he's not going to be president. <laughs> I sent him money. I sent him 30 bucks here and there. <laughs> I'm very surprised because I thought you sent it to Donald Trump. No, but I don't the send Donald point Trump is both money, Donald right? Trump and Bernie Sanders are against the same thing. What they're for is something entirely different. But they both recognize that there is an establishment that is crushing America and it's in consortium with the banks that can't fail. Well, let me tell you, the culture establishment cannot fail either. They're too big to fail. Imagine all these museums, all these universities, all these professors, all these experts and scholars, all these artists, all these agencies. They're all part of this united establishment that's crushing the spirit, the visual, sensory expression of, of, of Americans who, can, who are yearning for beauty. The Germans had a word for it back in the 19th century called CN, a yearning for unification, a yearning to be a great country. And the reason I picked Versailles in World War One is not only did we lose the whole academy and the whole renaissance, they destroyed Germany, and they destroyed Germany for political reasons. I don't want to digress into getting involved in uh, the politics, because I could go on like that. There's a very good connection for it. But what I want to make clear in the minds of people, that art is not some propaganda tool. Art is as important as mathematics, as English, as history, as architecture. It is the substance of the of the way we live, and if we live in an ugly, potholed, stupid, uh, malfunctioning society, it's created by this cultural establishment who doesn't give a crap for us. They don't care. They don't care if a million people are thrown out of their homes. Don't get me started on the politics, because then people will say, I'm being political. No, the The modern artists are being political. I want to get back to the fundamentals because the fundamentals, as I see in Sabin's work, as I see in Rick's work, as I see in Michelangelo's work, as I see in the great cathedrals of Christendom, uh, and it's not only true of the West, it's also true of, of Asia. The reason that ISIS must be 
defeated is because they're destroying their own cultural heritage. Mm. They are nihilists. They are destructive. They are death. Right. That's their Jim, problem. Let so, me ask you some questions. Yes. What are the ma- what are the major challenges you've faced in your work thus far, and what are the major rewards? What do you mean? Me personally? Yeah, in your journey, you're on this journey. You've got this mission about getting back to the basics, beauty and spirituality. And well, I'm an artist. Excellent. What are some of the challenges you face? What are some of the rewards? Well, I was an artist up until I got sucked into this uh, this 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 culture war thing back in the 1980s, and was called down by Congress, and I met with senators because I uh, of an article I written about uh, I'm the one that blew the whistle on the stupid art that was being funded by the by uh, the National uh, Endowment for the Arts. And I'm talking about Piss Christ. I'm talking about a plastic uh, uh, carving, a plastic creation of Christ emerged in a vial of the artist's urine and was photographed. Mm-hmm. And was funded by the National Endowment for the Arts. And believe me, they spent years trying to deny they ever funded it. Uh, uh, they have funded so much pornography, live pornography, of which the head, the chairman of the State Council on the Arts of New York State, who was a former movie star, uh, was, in the, was in the audience. And she did everything she could to shut me down. I mean, I went through, I was shunned and... Uh, you know, people walked across the street because I was blowing the whistle. That's what happens to whistleblowers. I didn't think I was blowing the whistle. I thought I was doing my job of of writing about what's good and bad art. Yeah, and I was basing it on aesthetics and the quality of it. People don't like it when you call them on their crap. That's what I found. Well, they get really not. mad. <laughs> of course not. And uh, I admire uh, Sabin's work that he worked, and uh, particularly Rick Hart who worked alone. Saban had two great teachers who were both classmates of mine uh, when he went to school. Yeah, Walter and Martha Erlbacher. And they had studied abstract expressionism along with me in school. And as the professor who was teaching us said, my objective, and he told me this in private, my objective is to destroy the minds and conceptions of students who enter this school, Pratt Institute, one of the leading art schools, and to, to set them on a new path. Uh. I said, well, what do, you, what do you have left? You can't teach abstract expressionism. Abstract expressionism is all those artists were academically trained, and they moved in the direction of modernism because the whole system was collapsing for the political reasons I have expressed uh, about World War One. World War One is the turning point for the West, and uh, the United States has never figured out who we are. We are separate from Europe. We are the inheritors of Western civilization, but we're more than that. We are the world. That, uh, doing Michael Jackson's song, we have every race and ethnicity in this country. We can do great things. 350 million people, and what do we come up with? Crap. Your few thousand Greeks did better than we did 2,500 years ago. When, when uh, uh, Daniel Chester French was beginning his work on the Lincoln Memorial 
at the start of the 20th century, he went to Athens, which at that time was under the control, I forget, of the Ottoman Empire or whatever. They literally, he and the architect, uh, I mean, had to sneak through. They wanted to study the Parthenon as the most perfect work of art. Thomas Jefferson, who invented federal architecture, who was one of the three greatest classical artists that uh, architects that ever lived in Western civilization, was inspired by a Roman temple on his way in a carriage in France, built by the Romans to the mm. god Isis, to the goddess Isis. He was going on his way to see the paintings of Daniel of uh, uh, Jacques-Louis David, who mm. invented neoclassicism and began the modern era of, uh, of classicism, which, uh, and, which ended with Bouguereau and the beginning of modernism, the collapse of Western civilization. How do you like that? I'm jamming all this stuff in because <laughs> if I'm talking politics, I don't have to explain all this. But if I'm talking to people I don't know and I can't see, they don't know this. They don't. They they think we just sprang from the head of Zeus. This country. They don't realize that we are inheritors of the Greeks and the Romans and the Egyptians. Go to the museum of the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Look at the work there. Do you know the greatest American artist in the Metropolitan Museum of Art hasn't had a single book written about him? That the museum that holds his work hasn't written anything about him? That's Daniel Chester French. Mm. The three greatest pieces of sculpture in the American wing are by Daniel Chester French, and nobody writes about him. You know why? Yeah. He's the greatest artist. He's like Rick Hart and Saban Howard. He was doing something different. St. Gaudens, who they talk about a lot, was moving over into modernism, so he's safe. Mm-hmm. Have I gone on too long? I'm running out of steam. No, look, ask, answer me this question. Who besides yeah. Rick Hart and Saban, who are your inspirations? Who inspires you? Well, of course the greats, but I mean there are a hundred artists. Martha Erlbacher, Jacob Collins. Uh, if you read the American Arts Quarterly, you'll see a hundred artists over the years we have in our small publication that are creating works of art. And what's so amazing, the number of ateliers of Jertsen out in Minneapolis, he got in a sh- he his beautiful paintings were in a show sponsored by the State Council of the Arts in uh, Minneapolis, mm-hmm. and uh, they took his painting out. They took it out because it was beautiful. It was spiritual. It's one of the best paintings of the last 50 years. Wow. And uh, people should look him up, Google him, Jertson, G-J-E-R-T-S-O-N. We've I'll exhibited him up. up at uh, the New England Cropsey Foundation. Look them up. So we've got about five minutes left. And, yes. Um, where can people reach you? Where can they, people, you know, if they want to connect with you and kind of hear more about your thoughts, what can, where should they go? Well, the first thing you might do is go to the um, um, American Arts Quarterly. I don't uh, publicize myself a great deal, so you're not going to see a picture of me in some bio or something. Uh, uh, I'm really just focusing on this, my last work, which is this book on the 40 years wandering in the wilderness and all the things that have happened, which I've only, you know, outlined in a sentence here or there. If 
But I lived through all these things, and I didn't realize how much I had experienced and how much insight I had gotten into what went wrong. But I am – the book is 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 about a descent into cultural hell and an emergence back into the light. Mm. And people like Rick Hart and Saban Howard are bookends to this thing. I don't want to go beyond it because I believe that the salvation – belongs to the artists, the poets. Critics are not the creative people that the artists are. What the artists do takes such courage, such skill. A single, you look at a drawing of by Michelangelo or Raphael, or you listen to uh, music, uh, Renaissance music, or Handel's Messiah, or... or um, Beethoven, uh, your senses soar. All the political speeches, with a few exceptions like Abraham Lincoln, who somehow connected with the, the spiritual and text. Most of it, most of what we see and hear on the news and read in the media and get in our history books, are, are just propaganda and lies. The artists are the closest to the truth. They're the reason that art and religion were inseparable for 2,500 years is because the artists alone possessed the skills. Aristotle wrote that art establishes the highest standards of civilization. And when a civilization is in trouble, when it's collapsing, you can look back to see what the ancients did before you and be renewed by them and go forward, perhaps. Well, That's Tim, where me... we stand. I leave it up to the artists and we the musicians and the architects. We have two minutes left. What's a fun fact people might not know about you, and then I'll say goodbye? A fun fact? Some fun fact that people might not know about you. Something I can't fun. Think of it. What do you do in your spare time? I don't time? know. What do you do I in your love, spare time? Uh, Saban, I was just telling me that he's going to, he's up for a, uh, a commission on doing a statue on Tito Puente. Well, 60 years ago, I used to dance to Tito Puente at the Palladium in New York. I love salsa. Before That's there was rock and roll, which I love too, until they ruined it with rap music, I uh the music came from the people. There was a beat that came out of Cuba uh, that was just incredible. All right, so Tim? maybe that's a fun fact. Picturing me dancing. Uh, Long uh, hair, graceful. <laughs> sounds fun to me. All right, Jim, i got to thank you. You've been an amazing guest. You have so much. Thank you for being on. Well, thank you, and I have no idea what the heck I was saying. I just let it rip. I hope... Uh, <laughs> It was great. I hope I did. I made some sense that I connected with a few people. You did. Okay. Bye, Jim. So that was the amazing James Cooper, art critic and art scholar. Next week, we have this young millennial actor, Jack Valenti um, of Wolf Productions, coming on. So tune in. Thanks for tuning in this week, and I hope you enjoyed it. it I certainly had a lot of fun. This 
has been Tracy L. Slatten on the Independent Artists and Thinkers Network. Thanks for joining us. Come back next week.